I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Well, a while back, I was uh, on the web looking at books on evangelism. And uh, I was overwhelmed by the amount. There was a book called Conversational Evangelism, Another Lifestyle Evangelism, Grace Evangelism, Power Evangelism, Spirit-Led Evangelism, Real Evangelism, Honest Evangelism, Evangelism That Changes Lives, even one that was entitled Evangelism That Does Not Change Lives. You don't want that kind of evangelism, do you? Tons of books on evangelism, lots of uh, tracts and uh, booklets on the subject of evangelism. Some say the one thing you need to know, another entitled 39 Steps to Salvation. That's a pretty thick track, I imagine. And uh, all of those in between, five steps, six steps, four spiritual laws, a lot of trees killed, a lot of ink spilled, on this subject of of evangelism, right? There are training centers for evangelism, seminaries that have evangelism departments and and professors of evangelism, lots of different books and tracts and pamphlets and methods and approaches to evangelism, some good, some not so good. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter 15. We're taking a break from our study through Judges in the month of July to focus in on mission ministry. It's Missions Month. We do this every summer. This month, we're going to be hearing from missionaries. We're going to be hearing from our mission teams. We did last week as well, heard from Brent about the work going on in in Nigeria. There are going to be sermons preached about missions, and I thought a good way to kick us off is to talk about evangelism. Before Jesus left his disciples toward the end of his post-resurrection ministry, he gave them an assignment. He says, as you're going, you are to be my witnesses. You're to be making disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe what I have taught you, right? Modeling what I have modeled for you. He told them first to wait on the Holy Spirit. Then the Spirit will be poured out and they'll be empowered on high by Him. And then they're to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and make Christ known where he is not known. He told his disciples, I want you to go out. I want you to escort non-believers to Christ. I want you to establish believers in truth. And I want you to equip believers 
for ministry. And of course, that's our mission statement that is taken from that great commission that Christ gave. In the book of Acts, we read of Christ's disciples faithfully answering this call to go and to fulfill this assignment. As you know, believers, this work is not completed. Their assignment is ours as well. And Acts is a good book to study on how to be effective witnesses for Christ and fulfill the work that Christ has called us to. In this book, we have some wonderful principles for evangelism and examples of how to do evangelism that should be highlighted and should be implemented by us, modeled by us today. We will study one such passage at the end of Acts 15 and beginning of Acts chapter 16. Now, because we're jumping in midway through the book, I need to bring you up to speed by way of context, okay? So let's do that quickly. There has not been a more successful ministry than the ministry of the early church recorded in the book of Acts that covers a period of about 30 years in Christian ministry. In the first 15 chapters, we see Christ's church spread throughout Jerusalem and onto Judea and Samaria and began to make its way across the known world. In the first part of the book of Acts, the, the church grows in Jerusalem under the ministry of Peter and then spreads through missionaries like Philip to Samaria. Remember, they're persecuted and forced out and they didn't leave that area empty-handed. They take the gospel with them. So, so persecution spreads the gospel. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, right? And, and so it goes out to Samaria and then eventually makes its way to the Gentiles as well. And that's really where we begin to focus on the Apostle Paul and his ministry to the Gentiles. He is sent out from that multicultural church in Antioch. They send him out. Paul goes and takes the gospel message further to the Jews first, but then to the Gentiles and primarily to the Gentiles because they're, they're the ones responding in such great number. He serves alongside faithful men, Paul does, like, like Barnabas and Silas and Titus and Timothy. And as a result of the fruit from Paul's ministry, because of a lot of the Gentiles are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, the Jewish Christians call a meeting in Jerusalem. Very important event in church history in Acts chapter 15. And this is what they discussed. Do Gentile Christians have to become more Jewish to be Christian? That's basically what they're asking. Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to abide by our dietary laws? Do they have to observe these ceremonial laws? And, and after hearing from Paul and Peter and others about how the Spirit of God was at work amongst the Gentiles in the same way he was amongst the Jews, they determined in Acts chapter 15 verse 11 that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? And after that key biblical event in church history, an important declaration there, Paul and Barnabas then make plans to go back out on their second missionary journey to the Gentiles. And this morning, I want us to look at the end of Acts 15, beginning of Acts 16, and look at this second missionary journey, the beginning of it. And I want us to learn 
through Paul's example of how evangelism is to be done. Several principles for you. Here's the first that we learn. For evangelism to be effective, we must have a heart for it. Like with anything, if your heart is not in evangelism, you're going to struggle. Paul was passionate about mission ministry. His heart was to know Christ and to make Him known. Look at the first part of verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return. Let's get back out there. Let's get busy again. Let's get moving. Paul's ready. He's ready to hit the road with the gospel. What motivated Paul? Well, they, they had seen a lot of fruit in that first missionary journey, right? Paul and Barnabas had seen lives changed and churches started, but they had also been chased by angry mobs of people. They had been confronted by many who opposed their, their ministry and their message. Paul had been stoned and drug outside of the city and left for dead. This is a costly work. Yet we're told Paul was eager to return. Paul was driven by this desire to preach Christ. He was motivated. Motivated man. He was a passionate man. Always on the move for Christ. Driven by desire to see the wicked forsake their way just like he had and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Believers, do you share Paul's passion. God's great sacrifice and the sending of his son to live, die, and rise again should move you first, non-believers, to forsake your sin and cling to Christ alone for salvation. It should move you, believers, to pursue godliness so that you're equipped to minister to others to do the work of ministry. How do we get motivated? How do we develop a heart for those who don't know Christ? How do we develop a heart for those who are immature in their faith to, to grow in their knowledge of God so that they grow in godliness? This happens by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. The more we commune with God, the more we spend time and grow in our knowledge of God through His Word, spend time in, in, in prayer and, and communion with Him, and the more we grow in the work that He has accomplished for us in Christ, the more we grow in our love of God, and the more we, we desire to pursue Him, and as we do that, we become conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. When this happens, our desires begin to align with God's desires, and we develop more of a heart like His for the lost and the immature in the faith. That's how it works. For effective evangelism to happen, God's people must have a heart for it. Second, for evangelism to be effective, it should not be divorced from discipleship. So important. I love this. Look at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim, past tense, the word of the Lord and see how they are. Very, very significant. When we think of an evangelist, we think of someone today who travels from place to place, spends a few nights in each spot, has a handful of sermons that they preach, an evangelistic message, 
calls for a response, and then they lead those who respond to the church or someone else to pour into afterwards. That's what we think of when we think of an evangelist, someone who's really removed from discipleship. Paul was an evangelist. His evangelism was not divorced from discipleship. Paul and Barnabas saw it as their responsibility to not only escort people to Christ, but to establish them in truth and equip them for ministry. Discipleship is not divorced from evangelism. Paul demonstrates that for us here. When he leaves on his second missionary journey, where does he go first? Does he go to Africa? Does he set sail for the Americas? To a place he's never been or no one's ever been? No, he goes back to the exact same places he's already been. He goes, he goes back to Galatia, back through Derby and Lystra and Iconium. He's already been there. There are Christians there. Why go back? Because Paul understood that discipleship is not divorced from evangelism. The two go hand in hand. Paul went back to the areas where he had started churches, spent more time with them, training them and teaching them and discipling them and equipping them to do the work that he's doing. And then he went away, but he wasn't away. He prayed for them. He wrote letters to them. He sent others like him to them. He invested in, loved, served, discipled people. Paul loved those he served. He invested in them. He prayed for them. He spent time with them. He taught them. He equipped them for ministry. Paul understood that the best way to do evangelism is to produce reproducing disciples right we don't just have kids and leave them right we raise them same is true with with evangelism he stayed with the ones he led to christ he returned to them wrote to them directed them instructed them until they were busy doing what he was doing he says this in 2 Timothy 2, 2. That's what he gives the charge to others to do as well. He says, Well, you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God used Paul to produce reproducing Christians who would produce reproducing Christians who would produce reproducing Christians. God used Paul to do that. That's what we're called to do as well as a church. That's why in our mission statement, we don't stop with escort. Though we want to see people who don't know Christ come to know Christ, we are to pour into them and see them grow up in godliness, right? I truly believe that if our church and others will make a commitment to this type of ministry, if we'll put all of our eggs in this basket, the ministry will benefit as a result. Look at what John MacArthur said about it. Look at this quote. He and his church are committed to this. In the long run, the faithful teaching work of a local church will have a greater effect in evangelism than all the evangelistic crusades that come in from the outside. Not discrediting any crusades. God has and is continuing to use them. But it's the reproduction of reproducing believers that advances God's kingdom in ways that nothing else can. Folks, that's what Christ left us. 
That's what He told us to do. And He does it through the church. That's what we're to be doing. Believers, do you have one or two people that you're investing in in this way? Do you have people you are discipling? Parents, are you discipling your children? Are you teaching them as they sit in your house and as they walk along the way and when they lie down and when they rise up? Are you doing that? Grandparents, are you doing that? Are you taking advantage of those God has given you an audience with to to pour into them? What if every believer in here only made a decision to disciple someone until they become a reproducing disciple? Do you see the impact of that? So evangelism done right is not divorced from discipleship. Next point. For evangelism to be effective, it helps to have a solid team. We often think of evangelism as a solo sport, don't we? And, and while there are times in Scripture when, when we, we see God's people having one-on-one encounters in ministry, a lot of the time there are two or more do, doing the work of ministry. There are strength in numbers. Now, you don't need 15 to 1. That's a little excessive, okay? But one or two along with you does help you. It encourages you. You encourage one another, right? Have one sharing, the other praying. Sometimes one is able to make connections with someone where another can't. God can and use, He can and does use gifted teams like that for His purposes, for the purpose of ministry. He does that with the team He assembles in Acts 15. Let's look at it, verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pomphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. It was heated. Sometimes faithful men, women, they have these sort of disagreements, right? And it was between Paul and Barnabas. It said that they separated from each other. That word separated is a strong word. They split and did not shake hands afterwards. That's what that means. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Mark did not have a great start in ministry. He was on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and after they made their way through Cyprus to Perga, Mark left. He cut out on them. The word translated withdrawal, the root word means apostasy. Now, now Mark was not a theological apostate. He did not turn away from the faith, but he did turn away from the ministry. He put his hand to the plow and he looked back. And and Barnabas wanted to restore Mark, which is just like Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. He stood up for Mark, vouched for him. Another reason was because he was family. Barnabas' cousin, we learn in Colossians chapter 4. So Barnabas stood up for his cousin before Paul, but Paul wasn't having it. Mark had left them high and dry in Perga. Paul didn't want to have to deal with that again. Barnabas wasn't backing down either, and I bet Satan loved this. These two guys at odds with one another, two champions for Christ. But notice what happens. Notice how God works providentially. 
We learn that Barnabas and Mark team up, and Mark ends up all right, doesn't he? We got a book by him. He's a traveling companion of Peter. Paul was actually wrong when it came to Mark, and, and he acknowledged that later on, his, his desperate need of Mark, right? So Barnabas and Mark team up, and then Paul teams up with Silas, another champion for Christ. So instead of one mission team now, you have two. How about that? That's the way God works. He's used church splits before, right, to, to make two healthy churches. Doesn't always happen, but God can providentially work in that way. He works through this disagreement to create two solid teams. Silas was the right partner for Paul because he was a Roman citizen. If you're going to be ministering throughout the Roman Empire, it helps to be a Roman citizen. Paul was as well. You have two great teams, Barnabas and Mark and Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas add one more to their team. And, and I want you to notice how God works this out. This is truly amazing. Paul and Silas do not go the same route that Paul and Barnabas did during their first missionary journey. They bypass Cyprus. And here's the reason why. Because Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus. Now, I don't know if they were thinking, I don't, want to be, I don't know if Paul was thinking, I don't want to be around Barnabas right now, so I'm not going to Cyprus. Or he just thought, they're there, taking care of it, and I can go elsewhere. We're not, we're not told. But we're told that Paul and Silas went the other way through Syria and Cilicia and went to Derby. Now, I want you to look at the map up on the screen. I want you to see why I, I, uh, I, I list this out for us to explain it. The white is Barnabas and John Mark, and the red is Paul and Silas. Notice, he is going to places they went before, but Paul is taking the back way. He's bypassing Cyprus and going around the back way. This is why this is significant. Do you know who they met when they stopped in the area of Derby and Lystra? Instead of stopping there last, they stopped there first. And let's see who they meet there. Look at Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany them. So instead of meeting them at the end of their trip, meeting Timothy, they meet him at the beginning and they take Timothy with them. That's the way God works, right? If, if Paul and Barnabas would have stayed together, he might not have had the time he had with Timothy during that second missionary journey, which, which turned out to be a very, very fruitful time, okay? So Barnabas and John Mark go to Cyprus. Paul and Silas go the back way through Cilicia and hit Derby and Lystra first. And, and we're told they meet Timothy and they take him with them. God's doing a great work here. It's amazing. Timothy was another great servant of the Lord. Paul poured into Timothy and Timothy got to the point where he looked just as much like Jesus as Paul did. That's why Paul could say, Timothy going to see you to one of the churches is like me being there because he's like Jesus. Cool. Very cool. Great result came from Timothy's ministry. Believers, again, we need to be pouring our lives into each other in this way. If you're further along spiritually than someone else, if you're more advanced in the faith, you need to be pouring your life into new believers and 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 believers to grow in godliness, you need to be seeking out mature believers to look to and emulate and follow so that you can move toward 
being more equally Christ-like and make an even greater impact in the kingdom, right? We need to be growing in Christ-likeness and pouring into others so that they become like Christ as well, so that the ministry benefits. Timothy became a great servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's from the Roman Empire as well. He's half Gentile, so he's got one foot in the, in the Gentile camp, and he's also half Jewish, okay? So there's a potential for him to be used in the Pauline ministry and this mission ministry in, in both amongst both the Gentiles and the Jews. Another reason Timothy was a choice candidate to minister alongside the Apostle Paul is that he was a man of great integrity. All of these guys were. We're told in Acts 16:2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and because of that, Paul wanted Timothy to join him in ministry. We need to seek out people like that of high integrity to serve alongside us in ministry. God is just forming this gifted team. You got Paul and Silas, they're, they're, they're Roman citizens. They're able to, to minister effectively throughout the Roman Empire. You got, you got Timothy, he's, he's half Gentile, half Jewish, able to minister to both. You got Barnabas, son of encouragement, used in a mighty way in God's, God's kingdom work. And Mark, he's, he's a late bloomer, but he comes on, right? And he becomes a faithful laborer. We got a book from Mark which is believed to be from the perspective of Peter, his, his gospel story. Excellent work that, that God does here. So for, for evangelism to be effective, it helps to have a, a solid team. We need to be laboring alongside one another in ministry, church, in this way. It's not a one-man show. We're not left on our own. We can bring people and should bring people with us for the purpose of ministry. Next point. For evangelism to be effective, one should meet people where they are to effectively bring them to Jesus. Very, very important. Notice what Paul does with Timothy. This is very interesting. We're told in verse 3, Paul took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, places they were going to minister. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, this is real interesting. I want to pause here for a minute. We said earlier in the meeting that they had, the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, that the main discussion amongst the Jewish Christians were, do, do the Gentiles need to become more Jewish in order to be Christian? And they said, no, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? So what is Paul doing here? Here we have Paul circumcising Timothy. Is he just forgetting about that? Is he just going against that ruling by having Timothy circumcised? Well, let's look at it closer. There's an important phrase here in this passage that explains Paul's actions. Luke says he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Paul circumcised Timothy so there would be no barriers between him and the Jewish people because we know the way Paul ministered. He went to the Jew first and then the Gentile. You see, because Timothy was half Jewish, him not being circumcised would have communicated to the Jews they ministered to who weren't believers at this time that he had rejected his Jewish side and had only embraced his pagan Gentile half. And Paul knew that would make it difficult for Timothy to minister to the Jews. So he circumcised Timothy so that Timothy would have no barriers in taking the gospel to the Jews. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 
20 through 23. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. So Paul did this, right, without moral compromise. He, he said... To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And here Paul is teaching Timothy this vital lesson. Now how does this apply to us? Are we to change physical things about us for the purpose of ministry? I mean, Timothy, Timothy really suffered a little bit there, right? For the purpose of ministry. But, but are, we, are we to... Change physical things uh, about us? Not necessarily. There have been some who, who have. There are some examples of, of some on the, on the mission field who have, have made physical changes in order to minister, but that's not the only application to be made here. We've talked about this before. An effective way to minister is to meet people where they are so you can take them from where they are and faithfully lead them to Christ, okay? If there are any roadblocks in the way, remove those. Without compromising yourself morally, of course, be all things to all people without moral compromise for the sake of the gospel. That may look like you taking up an interest in something that doesn't particularly interest you for the sake of the gospel, Whatever that may be, right? You'll find in your study guide this week, be sure and be going through those. We provide a Monday through Friday study guide for you based upon the sermon you're hearing this morning. And you'll notice in your study guide this week, you're going to be challenged to think of practical ways and write down practical ways you can become all things to all people without moral compromise for the sake of the gospel. So I want to encourage you to, to be doing that, okay? That's evangelism done well. Next point. For evangelism to be effective, the right message must be shared. Look at verses 4 and 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. To be effective in evangelism, it is vital we share the right message. Notice it says here that they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. They traveled through the cities of Galatia and shared with them what had been decided at the Jerusalem council and what had been decided at the Jerusalem council. Acts 15, 11, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They shared the message of salvation by grace, through faith, in Christ, and we're told that the churches throughout that region were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. I know I've said this before, but it needs to be said again. The gospel is central the central message of Scripture, it is to be the central message of our lives. It is to influence 
all that we, we, we believe and all that we say and do. It's what the non-believer needs to be saved, but it's what the believer needs to grow in godliness. Many think once they get saved, we got to move beyond the message of the gospel to another message. No, we never move beyond the gospel. We grow deeper and deeper and deeper in our knowledge of what the gospel says and teaches. It's to influence all that we say and do. How do believers who are struggling in the marriage relationship, how do they get through that? What do they, what do they need most? They need the gospel, right? Why am I having problems in my marriage relationship? Because you're a sinner, she is a sinner, and the world's broken. How about that? Is that not true? The problem's inside of you. The problem's inside of you, and it's inside of her. And you need to work on your relationship with the Lord. If you're not a believer, you need to repent and come to saving faith. And as believers, you need to work on this relationship vertically so that your relationship can be where it needs to be horizontally. That's the gospel. We need to grow in our understanding of the gospel. It is the answer for every issue that we face in this life. I go back to the gospel, back to the gospel, back to the gospel, back to the gospel. Every time I counsel, back to the gospel, back to the gospel. Believers, you need to be growing in your knowledge of the gospel so that when you counsel others, so that when you disciple and pour into them, you can go back to the gospel and back to the gospel and back to the gospel, okay? It's what we need. It's what we need. We need to be Christ-centered. We need to be, our messages that we preach and teach need to be gospel-saturated. That needs to be the counsel that we give. And when we do that, two things happen. People get saved, the church gets built up and grows and matures spiritually. That's what happened to the churches in Galatia. And that's what's happening in, in the churches we, we read about throughout the book of Acts. And that. It's what needs to be happening in our churches today. One last thing. For evangelism to be effective, it must be spirit-led. Very important, very important. The Spirit of God is the true power behind this great work in the book of Acts. He is the one at work through His people, and if He's not in it, if he is not behind the work that we do in ministry, no fruit will come from it. We must understand that. It is vital that we see our need of being led by the Spirit and being empowered by Him for the work of ministry. Look at verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we saw it. We saw it. Notice Luke's with him, right? Luke writes uh, the, gospel, the gospel of uh, Luke and Acts, and so he's there with them. We sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So we can add Luke to the list 
of this, this solid group, this solid mission team. But there are, there are many places Paul and the others wanted to go in ministry. Many things that they wanted to do, but there were times when God closed the door on them, and He does that at times, right? It may be something good that you want to do, but God's like, nope, got, got other plans for you, and, and that's fine. He does that. He closes the door on certain things that we're wanting to do and opens the door for, for, for areas in which we are to serve that we are not expecting. I can honestly tell you, coming out of seminary, I had uh, places in mind where I thought I was going to go serve in Fort Smith, Arkansas, where I served for four years before coming here, and Jacksonville, Texas, I've been here 12 years now. I, those two places weren't on my radar. I didn't even know about Jacksonville until I, I met a group of, of guys from this church on our first mission trip to Nicaragua. Uh, it was a joy to serve with them there, but, but I still didn't think I'd be here. But God opened that door for me in ministry, and there are doors that He will open for you. And it may not be the door that you're wanting to open, but we learn from Paul here we're to be faithful where God has us until he calls us to do something else. We're to do the last thing God called us to do until he calls us somewhere else. And, and we can even pursue certain things if they interest us. But if God's got that door shut, he's got something else for us. And we need to be mindful of that as well. Listen, it doesn't matter what your vocation is. I'm not just talking about full-time Christian ministry. Wherever you are, Wherever God has you now, that's where He wants you to minister. And the primary thing that He wants you to be doing is escorting, establishing, and equipping. You're to be coming here to get equipped to then do that as well. That is Christ's great commission for all of us. We're to be representing Christ, sharing Him, showing Him to people in our homes, in neighborhoods, family, friends, co-workers, classmates. We're to be pouring into people, investing in them, discipling them. We're to be getting discipled, and we are to be discipling others. Now, first things first, before you can do that, you must be a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be forgiven of your sin and made right with God through Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, you can honestly say you have not been escorted to Christ. Christ is not Lord of your life, but you want Him to be. If that's the case, I'm going to ask you to consider making a serious commitment this morning, a commitment that will change the course of your life forever in the best way. Scripture is clear that God has created us for Himself. The problem is, each one of us have rejected that. We've rejected God in the world He has created. We have failed to be and do what He has required in His law. We have turned away from Him. We have rejected His rule and reign in our life. We've chosen to go at life on our own. And because of this sin, we have been separated from God. But God tells us, while we are Sinners, God sent His Son. He demonstrated His great love for us, sent His Son to be and do what we could never be and do, what Adam failed to be, what we could never be. He was perfect inside and out. He lived the perfect life for us, and He laid His perfect life down in our place as our substitute and perfect sacrifice so that we, through faith alone and Him alone, could be forgiven of sin and restored to a right relationship 
with the living God. If you're here this morning and Christ is not Lord of your life, I invite you today, turn from your sin, forsake your sin, bow the knee to King Jesus today, give your life up and over to him and be saved today so that you can become a disciple of his and grow in godliness and pour into others so that this great work of ministry that Christ has called us to can continue. Let's pray together.